That is, I always think about that one verse, how sweet to hold this newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. And greater still, the calm assurance, and, and then that, that part where uh, he can face uncertain days because he lives. You, you know, I, I've talked to people that said, uh, we don't want any more children, uh, really. <laughs> And there might be a lot of different reasons for that, uh, but, uh, but, but some people have made the statement, you know, the world's getting so bad, we, we, we just don't want to bring another child into this world. And, you know, I, I, can, I can sort of understand how they feel because it is, you know, things are getting so bad. And you think about, for example, putting your kids in the public school and, everything that they are exposed to. But you know, the good thing about it is that as Christians, God equips us to be able to not only survive, but to be victorious regardless of the conditions around us. And if we will ground our children in the Word of God, regardless of how difficult it is, they can make it. They can make it. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but they can do it. And, uh, boy, just uh, whenever you think about the book of Proverbs, if we can instill some way in our children a love for the book of Proverbs and they will will study it and live by it, uh, it, it'll, it, it'll help them immensely. Well, okay, chapter number 14, Proverbs chapter number 14 and... Uh, let me see. We got down through verse number 21 last week. And so we pick up tonight in verse number 22. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 22. They do err that devise evil. But mercy and truth shall be to them that devise good. You know, a lot of intelligent people have erred greatly and hurt themselves deeply simply because they devised evil against somebody else. Now, it might have been a businessman trying to get the advantage over one of his competitors, you know, and so he's going to beat the competition and he devises evil against him. And uh, it might be someone that has been hurt by someone. And so, you know, they, they've got the idea, you know, I'm going to get even if it's the last thing I do. And so they devise evil against other people. And notice he says they do err. I mean, this is an error of the worst sort because we never help ourselves whenever we hurt other people. Uh, when we help other people, rather than trying to hurt them, we'll be rewarded as a result of it. And notice he, he expresses that in the use of two words. He tells us the reward of those that devise good. Uh, is mercy and truth. Now, whenever we think about mercy, that has to do with God's goodness. When we think about truth, it has to do with God's fidelity. And so the God who is good and the God who is faithful has promised 
to bless those that do good. I think an interesting part of this verse to me is here, he doesn't say mercy and truth shall be to them that uh, do good, even though that's true. But he uses that word devise. And, you know, most of the time we don't do any more good than what we plan on doing. And whenever we think about that word devise, it's talking about just as somebody devises a scheme to hurt someone, to get evil with someone. In other words, they're making a plan to do that. And uh, we need to stop and ask ourselves, who am I planning on blessing? Or what am I planning on doing? Or how how can I be a blessing to that person? And uh, a lot of times we go through life, and it's like the old saying, you know, if we're if 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 we're not planning to succeed, then we're planning to fail, and uh, that's true. And so we ought to be making plans, as it were, uh, whenever whenever we come to church or whenever we go to work or whatever it is that we do, we need to have a plan in mind. Uh, and, and pray that God will open up doors of opportunity that we'll be able to minister to other people. And the reward that comes back to us is the reward, he says here, of mercy and of truth. And so God is going to bless those who bless other people. And, uh, you know, it goes back to what Paul said about we reap what we sow, don't we? And if we sow bad... You know, we're, we're going to reap evil. If we sow good, we're going to reap blessings. And, uh, you know, there's not anybody here that would say, well, boy, I hope I have a good harvest of bad things happen to me. And none of us want that, do we? We all want blessings, and those blessings come as a result of you and I doing the right things, planting the right kind of seed, and it always brings a harvest. The harvest is always of the same sort. It's always uh, something that comes later on. You know, you you don't reap before you sow. You reap after you sow, and, and it comes later. You know, and, and, and it might be that you did a good deed next week and you've not yet reaped any benefit from that. It might seem in vain. It might seem they don't appreciate it, you know. You did something good and, uh, well, it was just uh, like they expected you to do it, you know. But eventually, God's going to bless you as a result of the good that you do. And if we can instill that principle in our children, like I was talking about a while ago, it'll put them miles ahead of others. Verse 23, in all labor, strange that this is coming right after Labor Day, but here it is. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only uh, to penjury. And, And the point of this here is that Honest labor brings a reward. In, in all labor, there is there is profit, and that's really difficult for somebody that is uh, lazy to believe. Because you know uh, he, he 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 looks around, you know, and he he thinks maybe of some people that have 
that, that have worked hard, maybe worked hard all of their lives, and yet they're not rich. They haven't, you know, uh, gained a lot of things. And, and what we forget is that riches come to us in different forms. Blessings come to us in different ways. And uh, by the way, there are things that, you know, that are much more important of a much greater value than money. And so uh, you say, well, I worked hard all of my life. And uh, I, I hope, uh, I think it was in the morning manner today, I was talking about God is enough. And talking about the fellow, you know, complaining about he lost absolutely everything. And he's, a, you know, he's a moaning the blues. And the little girl finally said, well, Daddy, you've got me and Mama. You know, and uh, boy, most of us would say, you know, I wouldn't take a million dollars for my children. They're worth more to me than that. We well, see, that's what I'm talking about. God has other ways of blessing those who labor. And the blessing comes to those that actually do the work, not those that talk about it or think about it. Uh, I've seen some people, and there's one particular fellow comes to my mind uh, many years ago, and... Uh, he was married, had a couple of kids, and got all excited during a revival meeting or something and decided that, uh, that God had called him to preach. And uh, so he was constantly making plans. He was going to do this, he was going to do that. One day he was going to go to Bible college, and, and this fellow, uh, all of the years that I knew him, that's all he ever did was talk about what he was going to do someday. And he never did anything. And there are a lot of people like that. And sometimes you just have to roll up your sleeves and go to work and get out there, you know, and and do it instead of just talk about it. And there's a blessing to be had in that. Notice he says there is profit in all labor. Verse 24, the crown of the wise is their riches, uh, but the foolishness of fools is his folly. Now remember, the Bible teaches us that riches can be a great temptation. The Bible tells us that riches can be a snare. Uh, and the Bible tells us that we're not to seek to be rich. You know, some people make that their primary goal in life. Uh, there have been people who said, well, I'm, I'm determined I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30 years old. And so uh, they they live for, you know, trying to get rich. And the Bible forbids that. But the fact of the matter is the Bible does not condemn us or criticize us for being rich. As long as we get our wealth the right way and use it for the right purpose, there, there's absolutely nothing wrong uh, with riches. And, and a lot of times, you know, poor people, we're all the time talking about rich people, you know, uh, how greedy they are. Let me tell you, some of the most selfish, greedy people I've ever met are people that are poor. And, you know, and, and, and their problem is, you know, they don't have anything, but they're envious of all of those that do have something. And, you know, they treat rich people like, uh, you know, they couldn't be a very good person. They must be dishonest. They must be crooked or something. And they're all the time criticizing rich people. But, you know, that's not always the case. And notice here it says the crown of the wise is their riches. 
So the fact of the matter is, this can be a crown to that person. Uh, He derives his wealth from acts of wisdom. In other words, he does the right thing in the right way. And as a result of that, he gains great wealth. And as a result of that, his his reputation is enhanced. You know, people that really know anything admire somebody that works hard and works smart. And as a result of that, their usefulness is enlarged. There, there are people that, uh, that are rich that can do certain things that the rest of us can't do. You know, they're, they're able to do things that the rest of us can't do. Now, I'm not saying their gift Uh, you know, is any better than yours. I'm not saying they are any better than you. That's not what I'm getting at. But I'm saying it increases our ability to be used in different ways for the Lord. And we ought to thank God for that. And and we ought to look look at it as though it is a, a crown that they have gained as a result of their hard and wise work. Instead of being envious of them. But notice on the other hand, and this is what Proverbs is all about, you know, the contrast between good and bad, wisdom and folly. And he says, But the foolishness of fools is folly. And so, you know, when it comes to a fool, even his riches cannot hide his folly because you give a, you give a fool great riches and what does he do? He makes a bigger fool out of himself as a result of it. I've known some rich men over the years, and I've worked for some very rich men. Uh, Johnny Morris that owns the Bass Pro Shop, I remember whenever his daddy started that. And, and, and it just so happened at the time I worked for Johnny's cousin. And uh, it was in a consulting engineer firm, and I worked for him. And he had uh, no telling how many millions of dollars. And uh, uh, I worked for another fellow there that uh, had, had a lot of money. But these men were men that had worked hard. Uh, I, I also did some work for a fellow uh, maybe I ought not to mention his name because, uh, in fact, I won't. He's dead now, and, but uh, you, you probably have heard the name. But uh, uh, th- this fellow never had to work for his money, didn't inherit his money or anything. And as a result of that, made some really stupid, foolish decisions. And that's why he's saying here, the foolishness of the fools is folly. And so, you know, these people don't know how to take advantage of the benefits that they have, and they end up making a bigger fool out of themselves. And uh, so, you know, whether it's pennies or whether it's millions, uh, we need to act in wisdom. Verse 25, a true witness delivereth souls, but a deceitful witness speaketh lies. The the witness that is truthful delivers souls, it says. In other words, when you see the word deliver, it's talking about, uh, well, the word salvation, for example, is a word that means to deliver. And this is talking about delivering people from destruction. Uh, take it into the courtroom, and you think about a witness that's coming into the courtroom, and they have seen something. Uh, maybe lives are at stake, 
Uh, it might be that someone could spend the rest of their life in prison or be executed for their crime, whatever it is. And it's so very important that the truth be told uh, at a moment like that because there is so much at stake and someone can be delivered as a result of the truth. And when we think about, when we think about ourselves as Christians, we're obligated to be truthful regardless of what the situation is. And uh, even though, you know, it, it, it might put us in a quandary, you know, it might put us in a situation where we're going to be embarrassed because if we really tell the truth, it's kind of like, you know, if you've watched Cops or some of those shows, uh, uh, or maybe ID or forensic files or whatever it is and somebody's called in and they've got to testify against somebody else. But in testifying that so-and-so murdered so-and-so, they have to admit, yeah, we were selling drugs at the time. I didn't pull the trigger. I didn't shoot the dude, you know. But yeah, I was in the car with him. We, it was a drug deal. It was gone bad. And so to tell the truth, you know, they have to admit that they were involved in some wrongdoing. But, uh, you know, uh, it's still important to tell the truth, even if it is embarrassing, even if it seems to be, a, you know, a detriment to our welfare. We need to speak the truth. But a deceitful witness speaketh lies. Uh, I can remember my dad, and dad was uh, not a Christian at the time, but he was a uh, maybe the best unsaved man that I've ever known. Uh, dad was a hard-working, good man, and I can remember him over and over. He didn't use the word hate very much. He wasn't that kind of a person. But I can remember him saying, two, two kinds of people I just hate. And he said, that's a liar and a thief. Uh, well, you know, that put Dad in good company because God hates lying. And say God hates a liar. I said God hates lying. It's sin. And God hates it. And we ought to despise it. We ought to do everything in our power to avoid it. Now, verse 26, in the fear of the Lord. Well, boy, you know, we could just stop right there. And that takes us all the way back to the very beginning of the book of Proverbs because he starts out with this theme speaking about the fear of the Lord. And in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. In his in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Think about all of the fearful situations we find ourselves in in life. Life can get scary. You know, somebody says, well, you know, man, my, my, my home is on the rocks. I, I don't know if my wife, you know, or my husband, I don't know if they'll ever come back again. I, it, it looks like there's just no way I'm going to be able to save my marriage and 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 that's a lot of pressure on a person, especially if you have children. Somebody else, you know, they say, well, you know, I, I, uh, all's well between me and my spouse, but, man, we're bankrupt. We can't pay our bills. I, we, we don't even know how we're going to put food on the table next week. And, you know, that list, 
that list of scenarios can just go on and on and on of difficulties that we all face, those dreadful situations. If there's anything that we need, it's confidence or courage, whatever word you want to use, to know that during those times that we, you know, that, 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 that we have something to depend upon. And it's during those difficulties that we're really put to the to the test, and and in in this way, it's tempting us, as it were, to 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 fear the Lord. That is to have a proper reverence for God, and in our reverence for God, he says there is strong confidence. Uh, it's found in the fear of the Lord. People, you know, that don't have any real genuine fear of God, no respect for God. Uh, they're certainly not going to be courageous. But when we recognize God for who He is and, and, and we give Him what He deserves and what He commands and we know that we're living our life the best that we can in the center of His will, folks, that gives us confidence to believe, as the Bible says, for example... All things work together for good to those who love the Lord are the called according to His purpose. But the confidence in that, whenever Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, there's that confidence. Whenever Paul said, you know, uh, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory, there's that confidence. And we think about all of the promises that God has given us, and when we have the right attitude of respect for the Lord, we're able to claim those promises and have every reason to believe that when we take care of God's business, that God's going to take care of our business. And then notice in the second part of this, let's read the whole thing again, and the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and His children shall have a place of refuge. Now, just looking at this from the grammatical standpoint, that is just what it, you know, says without doing any injustice to it, uh, you can actually take this in one of two ways. And if, if, if you were to spend the time to look in all of the different commentaries, you'd find some writers interpret it to mean one thing and some the other. There are those who interpret this to mean, when he uses the word children here, his children, they interpret that to have to do with the person who fears the Lord. And, and, and the, the, the children of the person who fears the Lord that has strong confidence shall have a refuge. Now, you can look at it that way, and, and that's certainly true. Whenever, you know, whenever the children see mom and dad loving God, fearing God, serving God, honoring God, and when they see mom and dad not hit the panic button when everything's going wrong, when they hear them talk about the fact, well, I don't know how, but some way God's going to get us through this, that instills confidence in those children. And notice he says, they'll have a place of refuge. In other words, when they've seen mom and dad take refuge in God's promises, when they've seen mom and dad depending upon God, that's what they tend to do because children learn what they see. And they're watching how, you know, we behave as parents. 
And, and consequently, they find a refuge just as we did. But all of that being said, and even though you can look at it that way, I don't think that's actually what it's talking about here. Whenever he says his children, I think it's speaking about God's children. Notice he says, in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord. And with the emphasis placed on the Lord, then we're going to be talking about his children. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. And his children, that is God's children, shall have a place of refuge. You know, it's a wonderful thing to know that that we can have a relationship with God, our Creator, that is described in in terms such as this: to think of God as our Father. Wow, that that is something entirely more intimate, more personal than than thinking of God as our Creator, or God is our Judge, or God is our Lord, or God is our Teacher, or this or that, or whatever He else He might be. But when it says that God is our Father. I mean, that, that's a term of endearment. And, and, and it's just such a wonderful thing to know that we are the children of God. I, well, I'd rather be a child of God than to uh, have $10 million. I'd rather be a child of God than to be in the Hall of Fame. I'd rather be a child of God than absolutely anything that this world offers. There is nothing to compare with being a part of God's family and having God for your father. Notice the result of that. The result of God being your father is you have a place of refuge. You have somewhere to run to, somewhere to hide. You have security in a time of, 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 of danger. Uh, you have a place to where you can go and find comfort and peace when your world is falling apart around you. You have Like the old song, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. There is a refuge in time of storm because God is your Father. But understand, understand here, it's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord that enables us to have a right relationship with God. And then all of these, all of these other blessings are based upon that. The fact that God is our Father. Probably in your neighborhood there are a lot of lot of children, uh, and uh, you know who doesn't love a child? You want to make a good commercial, you know, just you know, put a, put a baby in that commercial, and you, you know you, you you just know it's it's, it's going to be good uh, because there's something about children that just thrills our heart. Uh, but as much as you love children and all the children around you up and down the street where you live. Uh, you're under no obligation to feed and to clothe and to shelter all of those children, right? Why? They don't belong to you. They're not your children. But, but your children, with your children, you incur a responsibility to take care of them. So when God speaks of himself as being our father, God is obligating himself. He's putting himself in the position of taking care of his children. And let me tell you, he does a good job. He, he, he does it 
perfectly. I, you know, as much as I want to be a good father, I've never been able to do it perfectly. I've made so many mistakes, but God never makes a mistake. And, and the Bible speaks about God being our father. And as a result of that, it describes us as being the joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I just keep on saying the best is yet to come, because someday we're going to enter into our inheritance. Well, verse 27, we got time for maybe uh, maybe a, a couple of more. There's one verse I'd like to end on tonight, but not sure we can get down there. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Whenever I read that, I can't help but to think about how different the world is today from back in the times whenever this was written. Uh, you know, we try to put ourselves in uh, in, the, in the sandals of somebody living back then, and it was entirely different because we generally don't appreciate the imagery that's used in the Bible. And here we're talking about a, a fountain. We're talking about water. And we all know that man can't live without water, right? Uh, and there's certain part of the world today where people do not have water that is fit for consumption to drink, and that's a serious problem. But there, there have been times and places where water wasn't readily a- available. And one of you talk about a fountain or a spring, and every time I think about a spring, it takes me back to my childhood days whenever we'd go hunting and and uh, generally in the same places, and I can to this day remember those particular springs where uh, we, we knew, you know, in an hour or so we're going to be we're going to be over yonder, and there's the spring down by the old schoolhouse. But when you get down there and you just lay down on your stomach and just drink that cool water, and it was so refreshing, and uh, and it just something about it that's invigorating. Well, in certain parts of the world, you know, they didn't have access to water. Do you know there have been wars waged over over water? Really. People have killed other people over water. And in fact, you go back in the Bible and you see several examples of this, you know, where the enemy stopped up their wells so they couldn't get to the water. And uh, whenever people started a little village somewhere, they didn't just go out in the middle of nowhere and say, oh, this would be a good place for a village, you know. They found a place, number one, had to have access to water. And that's that's how important and valuable it is. Well, notice in the fear of the Lord, he says, there is a fountain of life. In the fear of the Lord, there's a fountain of life. Reverence for God, in other words, keeps us safe. Notice it's to depart from the snares of death. This is a matter of life and death he's talking about. You don't get water, you're going to die. If you don't have a proper reverence for God, it's ultimately going to lead to your destruction. Uh, your destruction might come as a result of foolish decisions that you've made and you've put yourself in a dangerous situation, or it might be as a result of your rebellion and, and, and God chastising you and cutting your life short. It, it, it could be that. 
but if we're going to depart from the snares of death, we've got to have a, a reverence for God. And he says that is a fountain of life. Everybody here, you know, would say, yeah, I'm concerned about my life. And who wouldn't vote for longevity? Well, everybody wants to live longer. Uh, I, I can remember several years ago at a certain age, and I, I told the Lord, I said, you know, Lord, if I could, uh, in fact, uh, I won't go into detail, but it had to do with the number of years that I had been here. And uh, I, I said to the Lord, Lord, if you'll just give me that number of years more uh, here as the pastor, boy, I, I, I'd be perfectly satisfied if you take me home then. And uh, I, I've, I've got to—I've got to tell you—it was with uh, some trepidation. Is that—is that the right word? Uh, that whenever I started getting close to that number of years, and and I really—I—I I thought about. I thought, you know, I told God I'd be satisfied. Well, make a long story short, God let that time come and go, and I'm still here. But my point is. Uh, we all tend to value our lives, don't we? And somebody says, well, I can just live to be 80, you know, I'll be fine. No, you won't. You get to 80, you you know, if you're in halfway good health, you'll want to live longer. Well, uh, the best way, the best way to take care of that is to have reverence for God. Well, verse 30, i got to hurry. Uh, a sound heart. The sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Uh, well, I was just talking about life and death, so let me ask you this question. How concerned are you about your health? I think everybody would say, well, you know, I'm very concerned about my health. And... Uh, you know, in fact, you probably have some evidence of that, right? You've got proof of it. Uh, you've got uh, a bottle of pills, maybe, uh, <laughs> or or you you've got a doctor's appointment, right? I uh, yeah, you got a doctor's appointment. You're going to go there. You're going to get another checkup and what have you. All because you're concerned about your health. Well, the fact of the matter is a lot of people, you know, that's concerned about their physical health turn right around and they neglect the most important things in life. And and I'm talking about their attitude and their right relationship with the Lord. Just as a healthy heart circulates the life-giving blood through your entire body and every part of the body is nourished by it, if the heart isn't healthy, then there's some part of the body that's going to suffer. That's going to adversely affect the whole body then, and it might even cut your life short. And so our attitude affects our well-being. And boy, this is one of, one of those thoughts and verses and subjects that we could just spend hours talking about from the Bible. You know, it talks about a merry heart being good like a medicine, you see. And so it has to do with our attitude and how it affects us physically. And notice he says a sound heart, a sound heart is the life of the flesh. But, what does that mean? What's he talking about when he says a sound heart? Well, remember, this is a book of contrast. 
So whenever you look at a verse, generally you have to take into consideration both halves, the first part and the second part. So look at the second part of it. But in thee, now notice there's a contrast introduced here, but in thee is the rottenness of the bones. And so when he talks about having a sound heart here, uh, it's talking about a contrast to envy. Now when we think about envy, uh, uh, the selfishness comes to mind. Uh, I mean, because that, that's the root cause of it. So you're talking about somebody that is selfish. Somebody else has got something they want and they resent it. They resent someone else having what they want. That's, that's what envy is, is all about. And notice he says it's the rottenness of the bones. It'll destroy you. And it really will. But the sound heart notices the life of the flesh. So whereas envy causes you to resent what somebody else has, a sound heart is, causes you to rejoice over what somebody else has. You know, the Bible says that we're to, we're, we are to weep with those that weep and to, and to, and to rejoice with those that rejoice. And, and there's so many times I've seen people, you know, that, uh, that they have, they have the ability to weep with others that are weeping, you know, I feel so sorry for you. I, you know, I'm so sorry you lost your job or I'm so sorry to hear about, you know, you wrecked your new car or whatever it is. And, and so we, you know, we weep with them. Most of us can do that. But it seems like it takes a special kind of a person to rejoice with those that rejoice. Yeah, I got, I got a raise. And we don't come out and say it now, you know, but somebody says, I got a raise this week. And it, it's kind of like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Oh, did you hear we moved? We got, we got that house we've been praying for. Man, you ought to see it. It's wonderful. And we're thinking, I don't want to hear it, you know. And that, that's the way some people are. They don't know how to rejoice with people that, that, you know, that are blessed of the Lord. And that's a, that's a sad thing because it's an indictment against us. It is a rottenness, rottenness of our bones. Now, anytime you think about something that's rotten, you know, it's not very pleasant. And so, uh, and something that's dangerous. If you go to the doctor and he says, well, you know, everything's okay except your bones are decaying. I, I mean, you know, it's, we're talking about something worse than osteoporosis, you know. Your bones are just rotten. They're, they're just going to crumble and fall and, and, and you're, you're doomed. So you know something bad is about to happen. Well, envy is the rottenness of the bones. And it'll not only destroy you physically, it'll destroy you in every way. Uh, Maybe the most famous, and I think the, certainly the best commentary I ever read on the book of Proverbs was written by a, name, a man by the name of Charles Bridges uh, a few hundred years ago, in fact. And uh, I forget the exact date, but he was an old preacher and, and wrote a commentary that was amazing. And I, I happened to run across a statement that he made about envy, and I... I'm going to read that to you tonight as we close. Here's what he said. Envy is wounded by our neighbor's prosperity. 
his ruin, or at least his injury, would give pleasure. It sickens at hearing of his praises and repines at his very virtues. Something is always wrong in his conduct, something at least which... If it doesn't, uh, if it does not deserve blame, greatly detracts from his intolerable praise. This evil is indeed the deadliest fruit of selfishness. Nothing flourishes under its shade. Often it is a fretting sickness or a pining despondency like the destruction of the bodily system by the rottenness of the bones. I read about a college woman, and um, here's a woman that I made a statement on Facebook this week. I said something about, you know, I've kind of reached the place through bad experiences and what have you that I I would have a hard time recommending uh, a young person nowadays join the military or go to college. Now, now, there's some exceptions to that. There are some that, you know, they're well grounded in the faith and spiritually strong enough that they could handle it. But, boy, believe me, there are a lot of them that are not ready for it and they can't handle it and it's going to end up uh, destroying them. Well, this woman had gone off to college and um, and she looked around meeting all of these new people and... Uh, started comparing herself to the to the other other girls there she watched the way they dressed the way they acted and what have you and she became intensely jealous of those women and uh, you know she thought well she's prettier than I am or she has better clothes than I do and whenever she went out on a date in fact uh, she she even felt inferior. This is on her mind all of the time. It's eating her up. She is so dissatisfied with herself that she couldn't talk about anything else, you know. Uh, just be in a conversation with someone and, 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 and she's either criticizing someone else or trying to do something to draw out a compliment or, or complaining in some way. And after a while, it becomes so incessant that after a while, nobody wanted to be around her. After a while, you know, they'd see her coming and, and uh, they'd walk away. She had become so, so bitter, venting her anger on her friends and her classmates, that she destroyed the very thing that she was hoping for. She wanted to be loved and acknowledged and accepted, and because of the of her attitude, she ended up destroying that possibility. Let me tell you, being envious of others is a surefire way to rob yourself of happiness and to literally ruin your life. And boy, we'd all be better off if we just said, you know, my main priority is to please God and I'm going to be content with whatever God chooses to give me. We can all think of things we want, right? Everybody, I want this or I want that. Well, that's fine. Uh, but we've got to be really careful that we don't get to the place that we become envious because somebody else has what we want. Uh, if what you want is what you need, do as you ought and God will give it to you. And if God doesn't, it's because he's got a better plan. 
Amen. I, we talk about God being being our Father, right? And uh, <laughs> every parent here knows what it's like to have your child to want something that they don't need, want something that's dangerous, you know. And you don't give them a pair of scissors just because they want it. Now, later on in life, you know, that might be fine. But when they're four and five years old, they don't need a pair of sharp scissors. And uh, uh, and we know that, and so we withhold it for for their good. And God's a lot smarter than we are. So, you know, don't get all bent out of shape just because God doesn't give you what you want. Because right now, right now, you don't really need that anyway. What a, what a good Heavenly Father He is. Thank you for your attention and being here tonight. And I pray that maybe something's been said that'll, uh, that'll uh, be of help in some way. Anyone have